Hey good people, this is your NI Dom back with another reflection and this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, I have uh, the framing two by two on the brain, two by two, and it really doesn't make sense based on what I want to say, but I, I think it's a cute framing all the same. I've done two reflections that um, are ultimately have that they have value for me, but they are in my most scattered self, and I never uploaded them. Well, because they had value for me, I didn't delete them, and I'm so glad I didn't, because I went back and I listened to both of those this morning. So one I recorded like um, sometime in January. It was while I was on a break with you all. And that was titled Capitalism. And I've since talked to you guys about capitalist capitalism that I'm certain came because of the work I did in that particular episode. So I think that the benefits of me doing that reflection even though I didn't upload it, stayed with me. But I didn't delete it. Uh, so that was in January. I went, I listened to it this morning. It's a train wreck. <laughs> I have to come back and talk at some point about that must mean, that must be, that means something. I don't yet know what it means when my reflection is hyper scattered. Because I already give myself permission to be random and um, to move about and to be disjointed. I can be disjointed. But there is something about that reflection that's on a whole nother level of disjointedness. (laughs) And um, so I want to come back and process that later. But all the same, I went to it and listened to it again this morning. I listened to it this morning. And it just was so helpful for me in terms of the ref- of what I'm going through right now. There's something I'm going through. And that leads to the second reflection that I did and I didn't upload. Yesterday, I recorded a reflection called The Learning Curve. And I fell into a rabbit hole right away. I wanted to tell you, uh, so today is, you guys, it's Friday morning right now. And on Wednesday, I had two experiences Mm-mm. On Wednesday, I had this week. I had two experiences that felt important, and I was curious about their being about them being interwoven. They were two completely different experiences. Like one was at work, and one was personal. But I was curious because I'm the common denominator, right? I was curious to see if there was some interconnectedness between what would seem too disparate, am I saying that correctly? Two different event types of events. So when I hit the record button to talk about those two events, the first thing that came out of my mouth was a, about a learning curve. And I, was, I started the reflection off by saying, I think I'm in a learning curve. And then I was like, wait a minute, I don't think I'm in a learning curve. I think I already learned that lesson. But I know I'm in the middle of something. And so I spent the first six minutes really wrestling between 
being in the middle of something, know that I'm always learning, but not wanting to call it a learning curve. (laughs) And once I had spent the first six minutes doing that, um, it just changed the whole trajectory of the reflection, which isn't terrible. It isn't terrible, but, um, that that's not the difficult part. I end up going somewhere in that reflection that was a little more detailed than I wanted to be about my work situation. And I try to be evasive about work as evasive as I, you know, as, as much as the reflection process will allow. And in that reflection, I got a little detailed and I didn't, that's the part why I didn't release it. But all the same, all the same, um, it still was a decent reflection that I listened to this morning. So you have two reflections. Oh, let me say this thing about the learning curve reflection. I got to the end of that reflection. Okay, this is important to say. By the time I hit the end of that reflection, you guys know most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, maybe 88, (laughs) 88% of the time I hit the, I'll start somewhere, the reflection, but where I end is usually a breakthrough. It's usually like, oh, okay. Here's a central thought. This is a takeaway. Um, and so the takeaway from that reflection yesterday, and I labored, I had to labor in it. Um, but the takeaway was that I was, I am in a learning curve. I am in a learning curve, but it wasn't, I can name the learning curve today, which is interesting. But at the end of that reflection, I couldn't name it. But what I did say, it was a spiritual learning curve. I said, it's a spiritual learning curve that transcends the learning that I've already done. So I knew I was in the middle of something. I also knew I was learning because I'm always learning. That's just my nature. I just learn. I just, I mean, we all do, but I have a greater appetite to learn. But the, what what I was contending with in these two events, I've learned those lessons already. So the two events that I, I'm dealing with, those are very familiar events. I've experienced these events several times across time and context, in, across time and space. That's why I was unwilling to say I was in the middle of a learning curve because all I could think about were the two events that I wanted to process. And the two events did not present anything new. I wasn't learning anything new in those two events that I could consciously understand. But by the time I hit the end of that reflection, I real I accepted that there is a learning curve, but it's spiritual. And that's all I had. And I felt at peace with that. Like, okay. You're learning something that's transcending time and space. You're learning something that probably has nothing to do with work or this other situation. But you're learning it all the same. What that thing is or was, I didn't know. So, in me, I've been up since 1 o'clock this morning. It's 4 o'clock now. So I've listened to two of my reflections that I have not uploaded. And in the midst of that, 
all of this is coming together. Like it's an interesting thing, the introverted intuition, and I'm going to attribute it to that. If you're out here listening to me and you're an expert in cognitive functions and, and you think I have it wrong, I'm open to that feedback. I really am. But as of now, I believe that it's that introverted intuition does this mesh up. It, it can take two experiences that seem wildly different, wildly different, and can bring them together in a cohesive way. That's what makes us creative. There's a young lady who I think is an INFJ, and I don't her her videos don't populate for me often on YouTube, and I wonder why. Because she, I, there was a time I was consuming her content a few years ago. But I haven't seen her in a minute. Um, I should go find her. But she did this episode, uh, this YouTube video on um, kind of how the mesh-up of the introverted intuition will take two things set that are separate that look very different and will bring them together in a way that's like, oh, and that's in and creating something new. So anyway... So I think listening to those two crappy reflections have given me my breakthrough. Ah, I think it's a breakthrough. I, I'm not. I'm hesitant because I don't think it's a completed breakthrough. I think there's something. I think there's more to the breakthrough that I'm not yet accessing. But there is a breakthrough, and I want to. Sh- I'm going to start my reflection there. On the other side of my disclaimers, I'm going to start my reflection um, with the breakthrough. So, um, and see where it takes me. So I'm starting with this idea of two by two because I've done two reflections that I didn't upload. And then I listened to those two reflections. And 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 I think doing the reflections helped me, even though they didn't you didn't hear it, they helped me. And then going back listening to them took it to the next level for me. So we're gonna start on the other side of the ref of the of, of the disclaimers with the reflection. I don't have it named yet, so I can't introduce it to you. Uh but it is it's it's the learning curve. I'll say that. <laughs> so on the other side of reflection, I'm going to tell you what I think I'm learning. <laughs> All right, you guys, if you're new to this project, um, this podcast, excuse me, this is a project that I'm identi- I call a personal journal. And uh, I talk about my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories I use the most are Myers-Briggs, and then the Enneagram, pushing those two systems together. I use it to give me an identity, INTJ8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator of about 30 years. I've spent half of this time, (laughs) oh my goodness, half of this time in leadership the breakthrough is ha- is happening in my head, you guys. Like so, the like the breakthrough is still branching off in my brain, and I'm just like, I'm not gonna remember all of this. Uh, so anyway, I spent half of my career uh, in leadership. Um, I loosely or playfully identify as a critical race feminist, 
And that's just a way that I, it's just a nice, easy, and politically charged, because I enjoy that, way for me to let people know I do not lean in to traditional distributions of power in the social world. The social world is um, part of the episode I listened to, excuse me, part of the reflection that I did back in January that I didn't upload was talking about a, um, a, a researcher. And I think her name is Patricia Hill. And she's a, I don't want to call it, she might identify as a feminist but, or a black feminist or a womanist. I'm not 100% sure. But she talks about matrices of domination. <laughs> and um, I remember hearing that. Like, I don't really follow her work. I was listening to a podcast where they were referencing her. Now, I know of her work enough to know that when they said her name in that podcast, I was like, oh, I've seen her work before. But uh, they said that she's done this research around or she's written about what's, what she calls the matrices of domination. And I was like, hot diggity dog. I always talk about the matrix, right? The social world is a matrix. And it's about how power shows up. But that's exactly it. <laughs> you know, I love the idea of saying matrices. So like you have these different structures of power. And that's what I'm saying when I say I'm a critical race feminist. That I'm looking at structures of power um, located in gender, how we define gender, how we treat race, how we treat uh, class, how we treat sexuality. You know, those are all matrices of domination. Hot diggity dog. I love it. So, anywho, saying that I'm a critical race feminist is just the best way for me to introduce myself in in that way to help people to understand I I look at the social world as a structure of power, and I particularly focus on very specific units of power around race, class, gender, and sexuality, class, and all this other stuff. And one day I want to come and do a reflection on beauty, because that was probably my first introduction to power. Mm. Mm, that was probably my first awareness that I could see power in the social world. And I was a kid, and I started looking at how people treated this concept of beauty. And then um, it's, I was literally a kid, maybe nine or ten. And then I would just, of course, I've evolved and matured in the world and I've done research now, and I know that that is a thing. Beauty is a construct of power as well. But we'll so one day I'll come back and talk about that. But anywho, I'm still in my disclaimers, y'all. <laughs> I haven't fallen into a rabbit hole in my disclaimers in a long time. So, um, where did I leave off? <laughs> Um, so I identify as a critical race feminist, and this project is unedited and it's unscripted. If you want to know more about this project or me in it, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. All right, I have someone listening to me, so I'm going to move from one place of the house into another because I share a floor with someone, and um, you can you can hear like I can hear when they're snoring. 
I can literally hear when they snore. So if you, if I can hear you snoring, then you can hear me talking. So I'm just going to move to a different spot in the house one second. So a few things that are on my mind would be um, a few words that have been popping in my head while I was doing my disclaimers was um, the idea of imposter syndrome. And I've thought about that a couple of times in the last uh, two months, but not enough to do a reflection on. So it's interesting that that concept popped up while I was doing the disclaimers. Um, Self-preservation is a concept that's been popping up for me in the last 24 hours. In general, I've just been thinking a lot about the Enneagram 8. I've been thinking so much about that. I, I, I would live, I would just love to linger here with, there are people, um, I, I entered into personality theory primarily by way of Myers-Briggs. I fell in love with it. I learned it. I mastered it, if you will, not an expert, but I mastered it and, uh, rejected the Enneagram. And then in the last year, year and a half, I have just been floored floored by the value of the Enneagram. Just, it is a fascinating, I mean, on the surface, um, on the surface, it, um, it, uh, it doesn't look as, uh, bountiful, if you will. But, um, once you get inside of it, and you understand it, and then you start observing yourself. It transcends. It it really covers a part of the person that the Myers Briggs just doesn't cover. You know, I think each system can tap into the territory. So you have the same territory, the person, but they're different maps. I've said this before. They're different, and I've got I got this from someone else. I think I got this from the husband and wife team. Um, so this is not my idea, but they, the, the, each system is like a map of the same territory and they may cover parts. They might highlight parts that would be accentuated, um, in the other map, but they don't cover it well. Um, and so the INTJ academic, the guy that I like to call the INTJ academic, he mentioned in one of his audio clips or video clips in the last two months, at least that's when I consumed it about how you should pair different systems. Like there are some systems you can bring together and some systems you should not. And I didn't listen to that well enough to understand the details of it, but it it was good to hear him say that you can pair some systems. And I think the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram, those are two systems that you absolutely can bring together. Um, and I've talked about this enough. I'm in a rabbit hole, y'all. I've talked about it enough to already, like, I, I really feel like I, I have a theory that I can lock in about how to bring those two systems together. Anyway, anyway, none of that's relevant, but just the fact that the Enneagram is just giving me so much, um, in terms of discovery, self-discovery, self-exploration and uh, growth. Um, 
And it probably was like this for me when I really, really, really got into those cognitive functions and the, the Myers-Briggs. Like when I, when I moved from understanding MBTI as a, as a four letter code, the four traits, and I got into the cognitive function, it's cognitive functions, like my growth, I grew exponentially. And I think that's what's happening to me right now with the Enneagram. It's like, whoa. Um, there's so much, and it could, maybe it's because I'm a type eight and just because that type is just not usually understood. It is, um, it is a type that is considered, it is viewed a certain way and people respond to us a certain way. And, uh, and it's just a part of me. That's what it is. I can feel my FI, um, speaking of crossing two systems, my FI, which is a cognitive function in Myers-Briggs. Um, I'm learning that I've learned this in the last hmm, three to five years. I don't know, <laughs> but I learned that when I stumble on a level of truth for myself, um, there's an FI, what I call an FI tingling sensation, but it's probably F-I-S-E. Uh, working together because there literally is a sensation that it's like a confirmation you're onto something you're at you're finally you finally arrived at a place that you needed to be but anyway I think you guys I'm belaboring I'm I'm like um struggling with getting into the reflections which is why I'm finding all of these random peripheral things to talk about I'm going to try to bring it back so anyway the Enneagram 8 has just been quite robust for me, Health, uh, helpful for me in the last uh, few days. Um, but no, yeah, anyway, the last few days, I'm not going to dissect that. Okay. So yesterday's reflection, when I talked about the learning curve, um, The one of the, okay, all right, here it is. <laughs> Sorry. Two events I'm having conflict. I'm having conflict in two separate events. One is work conflict and one is, I can call it dating conflict. I'm going to call it that. But they both tap into me being a type eight. But if I'm, if I, if I linger here a little more, they're probably really both about me being an INTJ8. That's, that is probably a more, uh, thorough treatment of the learning for me. The reason why I was so resistant to say I was in a learning curve yesterday is because in each event I've been down this road before. I've been down the road. I can map out what's happening. I can map it out. Which means I can diagram it. Here are the parts to the thing. This is what um, I can name the parts. I can talk about how those parts interact with each other. I can talk about how what's going to roll out, you know, in terms of the parts. 
I can do that. But because I can do that, that doesn't feel like I'm learning anything new. I got it. Right? I mean, if you can map it out. And because I've been down this road several times, it's enough for me to say, there's nothing else for you to learn in this situation. Now, spiritually, I can say, well, if I keep having these lessons on repeat, what? why is the universe bringing it back to me? I could say the universe is bringing it back to me for me to learn a lesson. And that's okay. I can sit with that. I'm actually okay with that idea. And I was going to say, but it doesn't mean, okay, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting some, I'm hitting it. I'm really getting to the core. Like I'm, I was prepared to take you the scenic route. I think I'm getting right to the core of the lesson for me. In the past, I had these events that were occurring because of who I am. But instead of embracing the experience as, well, this is happening because this is just who I am. I experience this is happening and I need to do better. I need to not be the thing that I am. But at the time, I didn't look at it like this is who I am. I just looked at it as I've got to do better here. This event is occurring because I am not this. I am not that. I'm too much of this. I'm not enough of that. Okay, you guys, you get it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so then I get to a place where I'm like, no, this is just who I am. That's the con. I literally had to have that conversation with the CEO two days ago because they want to coach me. And honestly, just their whole, that's to be honest with them, I'm, I'm getting ready to curse. So, you know, pause the, pause the, pause the um, episode if you are around kids, but it's a bunch of bullshit and there's no other word for it. I'm not going to say malarkey, bull, I'm, I'm going to call it for what it really is. It's bullshit. This thing that they want to coach me on because it's not that they, it's the thing. And I, I can tell you guys later what that thing is. I'm pretty sure it's going to come up, but I don't want to have to explain it right now. The thing that they want to coach me on is not even real. Number one. Number two, they don't really have a track record of coaching to deal with something that they don't like. But it's the right thing to do. It's the, it's the best practice. And so they want to use language of best practice, but to do what they want to do anyway. So it's, it's bullshit on two levels. The thing that they're coaching me on is really not a thing. And I know if, like I said, if I unpack that, that's going to change the whole direction of this reflection. So you just have to trust me on that right now. And then the second thing is that Coaching is not something that they are really doing. Like, because if you're going to coach, like, what's the, like, this just, like, they're not, they're not coaching. 
they're not coaching. They, either they're not coaching or they don't know what coaching is. And I'm like, you just sent me on a training for coaching. So why don't you go take that training? <laughs> right? Uh, so anyway, there's so much more I can say to this situation, but I have to be very careful because it's work related. And then I won't release the episode because I don't want to get too detailed. So you just have, you guys have to trust me on this one. But both, you know, the thing that they want to coach me on, um, what I said is that is a fundamental part of me. It's not the thing, but a branch of mm, mm, the sidekick to the thing that they want to coach me. Let me see if I can give this, give you some details without giving too much and going into a rabbit hole. Okay, let me try it this way. They, um, I, which is a, it was just a very weird conversation. Uh, they were saying that. Women in leadership have it hard. And when you are confronting with white men, like this was a bizarre thing for them to say, because I never brought up race or gender in the conversation. Never. All right. Because I know those that's politically loaded. And anyway, I don't I don't talk like that at work. Um, not in that particular part. Um and I especially don't talk about race and gender when it comes to me personally. It just doesn't work in my favor. So I just have learned that a long time ago. So for them to bring up race and gender, like and saying that women in leadership, it's hard when you're confronting white men. Um, it's bizarre. It was a bizarre thing. It was a bizarre thing for them to say. Number one. You know, for them to bring up race and gender like that. Uh, number two, I've already been on, I already have successes with white men at my job. So, and are we going to bypass those successes? It's not about white men. This is not about white men. And I'd be the first one to talk about the thing is, um, I'll be the first one to name an issue of race and gender. And I'm comfortable. I live here. But it's not about that. This is about, it's about something more, um, it's about a historical, it's about a legacy. That's what I'm, I'm going to say. It's this. It's about a legacy that my presence is interrupting. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, and the organization is going to have to take a stand on that legacy. And I'm okay with the organization going about it in the path it needs to go about it. I'm fine. But in the route, until you figure out how you're going to address this legacy, you're not going to problematize me in it. You're not going to make what you were trying to make me, 
you're trying to make me the problem because my my work is interrupting the legacy so say that let's talk about that let's talk about the legacy and what we do we want to maintain a legacy or do we want to interrupt it I'm, we can, you can coach me on, you can, no, you don't even need to coach me. You can direct me on that. But for you to make this, uh, about, a um, rapport, having rapport with white men. No. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Truth be told on record, uh, and this is a, this is something I have had to really process, on record, I'm, I'm, I, I have better rapport with white men than I do with black men. That's a fact. So we're not going to talk about, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't mean it's not to say that I don't bump heads with white men, but I'm not bumping heads with them because they're white or th and I don't even think it's because they're male. And that goes to this type eight thing. This is the point. Okay. So now I feel like I've, I've just done it again. I've just derailed. I knew I didn't want to do that. Anyway, so they want to coach me on, they want to coach me on, um, building rapport with white men without talking about the very thing that I'm doing to make some of these people uncomfortable. And they happen to be white men, but that's the organization is white. <laughs> so, it, you know what I mean like it's not it's just bizarre it's just a it's a bizarre framing and you're not acknowledging that and you're not acknowledging other parts of this equation of me being a black woman in a position of power you put me in a position of power over these people who are trying to maintain a particular legacy. But you're asking me to produce some results that cannot happen at simultaneous with the existence of that legacy. Because that legacy is producing a set of results. You want me to do different results. I can't do those results with that legacy. So I'm not, I'm building a new legacy. I'm building new traditions, new patterns. And those new pattern patterns, those new pathways are making some people uncomfortable. And some, they have, some of them happen to be white men, but there are other white men in that I am responsible for that have come to me and they've said, thank you. This helps. I appreciate you. Okay. All right. As a matter of fact, I had a, one of my teachers created a petition in support of me. Half of my staff signed that petition. I think that's important to note. And on that petition were signatures of white men. 
this isn't about it's not about white men, but this is what it's about. And I'm going to take us, I'm going to take us to the disclaimers because remember I fell into a rabbit hole when I started talking about Patricia Hill. It's about the matrix. It's about units of power. The organization has treated power in a very particular way. I am the first female leader at this particular level that this organization has had probably in 30 years that's important that's important I'm the first female leader forget race and then I happen to be I happen to be black in an organization Where they have thousands of employees. And they're probably 18 black people. So if you say you want to coach me. You have to. We got, we've got to put multiple things at the table. Um, but you're not going to do that because. You, anyway I'm not. No 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 I'm not going to do that. But. So. How this one part of the legacy is how we do power. This is how we do power here. And when you come, we, I accept you to be in this position as long as you uphold this legacy of power. And that happens. So you can have, and it's, it's black facing. You could put an African American person in a position that mm, I want to take race mm, mm, when those legacies <laughs> those units of power give advantage to a particular group on repeat <laughs> that and it disadvantages another group on repeat then anybody who comes into that new position whether they're black, white, or purple, or polka dotted, they're being—they're going to be expected to maintain the distribution of power. And I'm not doing that because because I'm—I have been tasked to produce results. This is this is fast. It's a paper waiting to happen. It's a book ready to be written. It is. But anyway. Anyway, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna labor here. I'm not gonna linger here anymore. The point of the matter, because this, this reflection is this um, project is about me and my growth, right? It's about me growing and making sense of my world. It's not about me helping other organizations. Like I, I'm not gonna give so much, and then somebody comes from that organization and they listen. I'm not I'm not here to help them. <laughs> this is for me. So getting back to me. I've had this conversation about units of power. We didn't call it units of power. I've had this experience with units of power. Many times. Many times. I can diagram it. 
is I could say the anatomy of power. So I didn't feel yesterday when I started that reflection, when I said I'm in the learning curve, that's not it. Let's jump over to the dating piece. That one is a little more, mur that's murky because I don't have as much experience with that lesson. I don't. I really, really don't. But I have seen it. I've seen me in it enough to know this is how I respond. When these conditions surface, this is how I respond. But in the past, when I have responded to those conditions, whether it was dating or units of power with the workspace, in the past past, I have said, I need to do a better job. The problem is me. I need better skills. I need a better, I need communication skills. I need to become a nurturer. Um, um, I'm trying to think of some other things I would have said in the past. I've got to learn to be a team player. <laughs> um, I've got to learn to uh, give up control. I've got to learn to be likable. I've got to learn to be approachable. And all of those things I have worked on. It's not like when the lesson came. It's not like when the lesson came, I was like, nope, I ain't learning that. That's not what I did at all. When those lessons were presented to me, I worked my butt off embracing those lessons on repeat. And then the Enneagram pops up into my life and shows me what the real learning lesson is for me as a type eight. I am a leader. I am sensitive to concepts of domination, you know, dominance. Um, I am a protector of those who are disadvantaged. I am courageous and willing to um, step into the line of fire for the sake of people who are more vulnerable. I will not yield to harmful practices. I'm not, and, and here was the other accusation about me. Learn to talk about something else other than work. When you talk to the people, talk to them about, um, talk to them about what, what their kids are doing for soccer and what, what trips they're taking their kids on. <laughs> right? <laughs> Be personable. And I've really, really worked hard on being personable. What I'm learning is that it's not about those things. It's not about those things. And, and I'm not against learning about showing interest in someone's kids. I'm not against that. I love the kids. But 
personal. What does it mean to be personable? What does it mean to be approachable? What does it mean to be likable? Like, then we have to go back to this idea of units of power. We must, we must also include that. I feel like this reflection didn't go the way I wanted it to go, but that's okay. I'm going to hang in here. I guess at the end of the day, all I'm trying to say is this. There comes a time when you have to accept who you are. And being who you are and accepting that means putting yourself in environments where you can be that thing. And like I said to the people yesterday, uh, two days ago, I'm prepared to put training wheels on my personality. I am prepared to do that. I'm very comfortable. I'm mature enough to do that now. I know what it's like for me as an I, I know what an INTJ is like. I know what a type 8 is like. I know it. I can train. I can put training wheels on that. Or bumpers. Thinking about bowling. Like I can, I can add some additional dimensions to myself to bridge the gap between me and other people. Because now I understand what an INTJ, how, how other people experience the INTJ. I understand how other people experience the type eight. I've made that investment into myself. And at the end of the day, because I am an INTJ and a type eight, I want to get results. And if the results that I'm aiming require me to stretch, to bend, I am willing to do that. Easily. There's nothing about bending that is problematic for me. Nothing about stretching is problematic for me. But I, I must honor who I am at the core. And that is that is at the heart of that is the heart of the lesson, I guess. For that's the spiritual thing for that's the spiritual breakthrough. It is being okay with who I am at the core. Being okay with it, accepting it, accepting the consequences of it, right? I'm not, I don't have a problem. This is, this is what was funny about the, um, I, I'm going to have to think more about the dating situation because I think it's slightly different, but I think it's still connecting to who I am at the core, which is the pole point of what, of the breakthrough. But going to the work situation in terms of accepting the consequences, I have asked this CEO twice to pull me from that assignment. 
But the thing is, I've produced for some results that they like. And I'm trying to tell you, man, that the results that I've given you that you like are tied to who I am at the core. You don't get one without the other. I can put training wheels on me, but you, no. But nope. Nope, this is not about, this is not about my personality. It's really not. It's about the legacy that I am interrupting. This is, I don't have a way of explaining this in a neat, in a, I don't have a metaphor. I wish I could come up with a metaphor. Hold on a second. Okay, I, 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 I have a metaphor. It's going to be sloppy. It's not the best metaphor, but I'm gonna, let me try this, okay? It's like making a cake. I don't even know why I'm using this metaphor because I don't bake cakes, so, but we're going to try. I, And you have to put sugar in it to make the cake require some sugar to being to, to make it sweet. We've always made this cake with white sugar. I hate, and this is going to be a little bit over the top. It's going to be an overkill because especially in the conversation around race, but I'm not really trying to reinforce the racial part of this, but if it works, it works. <laughs> so we're making a cake. His, the legacy is that we make the, the cake sweet with white sugar. But there is a community of people that can't handle white sugar. So we are in agreement. Everybody's in agreement that we want the cake sweet. So I was brought to this job this assignment to give them a sweet cake. I don't even know if this is working, but just, just please try Please just try to connect with me. I was brought to the job to give these people a sweet cake. That was the only stipulation. Sorry, my alarm is um, going off because it's time for me to get ready for work. I thought I turned it off, but maybe I didn't. Um, obviously I didn't because it just rained. Anyway, I was brought to this, this assignment. They put me in this leadership position. Go make a cake, make it sweet. I said, and I said, sir, are there two, are there, is there, do you want to give me any other, like, can you give me a transition plan? Can you tell me what I'm walking into? Nothing. Just go make the cake sweet. Go make a cake and make a sweet cake. But I don't make a cake with white sugar. Guess what kind of sugar I use, y'all? <laughs> I use brown sugar. <laughs> I use brown sugar. And the cake is sweet. And people like it. People are making phone calls. Oh, she's making this cake. It's so good. It's sweet. We love it. But there are a group, there's a group of people who are married to white sugar because that white sugar is connected to an economy of profit and they're invested in white sugar. 
So every time I bypassed the white sugar to make the cake with brown sugar, it's interrupting their profit. And they're upset about that. So instead of us talking about the, pro- the, the, the economy of profit, the, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Instead of us talking about the economy of profit, I'm going to say it that way. We're going to talk about personality and likability. And we're going to coach you on that. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. Because in the code, what they're saying is that learn to listen. You're talking to people, but are you listening? Well, how do you measure that? You mean, are you responding? Are you, are you giving them what they want? This is so obviously, it is so obvious. It's gross. There is not one person who has done any work around leadership um, and power that would not, who wouldn't benefit, who's not, okay, let me say this. There's not one person outside of the the, um, industry of profit with white sugar that wouldn't look at this situation and name it for what it is. But anybody who's profiting off of that white sugar, they're not going to talk about that. They don't want to talk about it. But the best thing, oh God, this reflection has become quite horrible. Um, Damn it. Anyway, anyway, y'all, I'm sorry. I thought I had it. I thought I had this reflection. But the breakthrough, <laughs> the breakthrough is, um, I, I think the reason why I'm struggling and I feel like there's a, there are things in this reflection that are of value, but I'm struggling with really talking about the breakthrough, the spiritual breakthrough. See, this conversation about white sugar, brown sugar, that's not new. That's not the breakthrough for me. This conversation about Coaching me at, at my affect or dealing with my affect is not new in context to the real problem, in context to the legacy, legacies that I'm interrupting, right? This is not new. I'm not learning that. What's new for me that hit me this morning Is I'm okay with it. I'm confident in it. The only discomfort is that there, there are now, there are. Um, I will say that there are two people who I believe. Nope. Yeah. I've what what is new is I've I was betrayed by someone. I've not had that happen to me before. I've had people who've um 
I've had people who've warred with me. I have people who have, um, uh, who've tried to get me in trouble. Um, but I've never had, I've never been betrayed. So that's new. But that, so yeah, so that's new. But I don't even, it's not that I don't, that's not something I need to learn. Like, it's just something I have to, like, it's just, it's uncomfortable. You know, that's, it makes me sad. It's sad that, you know, someone, and, the, and I get it because I got put in a position to be this person's supervisor. So instead of them promoting this person to the head, to lead, they went and brought someone in over him. I get, but see, I get that. I get that. And what even is fascinating about this situation is that that is a that's his own case. That's there's a, there's something else. There's some other things that have happened. It's fascinating. It's all fascinating. This whole issue of um, power is really fascinating. It's just fascinating, but it's not new. <laughs> so what is new? Is that I am not feeling like, oh, I need to learn to be a better leader. No, I don't. And so when they told me this the other day, we want to help you with leadership. Really? That's fine. But can we not bypass all of these other people who are in support of my leadership? You're bypassing a lot of people. Why are you bypassing these other people who are on record? And even bef before the petition that half my staff signed in support, um, there were letters being written on my behalf, emails, phone calls. Why are you so willing to bypass that to then talk to me about me needing to be coached on my leadership? You know damn well this is not about leadership. As a matter of fact, if I've done nothing else, I've shown to you that I'm a leader. <laughs> That's not the problem. I'm not the right type of leader. We can say that. But then in order to say I'm not the right type of leader, you're going to have to be specific about the legacy work. Do you want a leader who's going to reinforce the legacy? Do you want a leader who's going to change it? Or do, and, um, or do you want a leader who's going to be ambivalent about it? I mean, that's a choice you have to make. Cause I've made, I'm, I'm very clear on who I am in terms of what I'm committed to. And I think that's the, and I'm going to close, ooh, I'm going to go over an hour. That's the issue around the imposter syndrome. That's, that's, that's the learning for me. And I guess that's the contradiction. So I want to, I hear the contradiction. Even if you, I didn't hear it initially, I'm hearing it now. So that's the learning. This is the learning curve. This is it. Here it is. I am aware of who I am. I'm aware of my strengths. 
and I'm aware of my weaknesses. I am fully aware of that. And I'm still committed to growth. I'm comfortable with that. Okay, it's coming to me, y'all. This is a new thing for me, though. This is new for me to be confident in who I am at this level. See, I've always been confident in my production. Oh, my God. I'm now, I'm now having my confirmation. When I get a little teary-eyed, that's when that confirmation is happening right here. I'm going to close here, you guys. I'm going to release this reflection. And if you've made it to the end, thank you. Thank you for hanging in here with me because I was still wrestling with it. I have always been confident in my production. But I have never. Excuse me. I have never been confident in the essence of who I am. The essence of me. So I have padded that insecurity of you. I guess I never considered it an insecurity, but let me let's just call it that. I've padded that insecurity with production. So I'm gonna compensate for who I am in essence, what I can do. Now we all know, we know where this comes from. This is about the inter. This is the intergenerational trauma that's that that you get. This is what the tears are about. I was raised to have a problem with the essence of me. I was raised. My family, uh, they love me, but they love me. But this part of you, this part of you, is a problem. Which is why I did really well as a student once I figured out that I can um, get results. Because in high school, I didn't see production in my homework as a, as it, because it wasn't something I wanted to learn. But once I went to college, it was on and popping. You, you have, you, you're listening to someone who graduated third from the bottom of her class. Third from the bottom. Class of about three hundred. That's that's significant. To going off to school and uh, and dominating in that. My last degree, my first two degrees were in non graded system. We didn't get a grade. It was some you know it was a non graded system. My third degree, that PhD that I hold, I carried a four point throughout. Excuse me, yeah, all A's. How is that? Right. But that's my lifeline. That's always been my lifeline. And the universe is just giving me something. I don't know. I, you know, and like with the guy, my, my assistant, the, the, my assistant principal said to me yesterday, well, you, you know, you may not have a career in this district because of who you are, but at least you know who you are. Well, that is the truth. And then I have to now begin to do that work. 
But that's never going to be work I can do if I can't accept it. If I cannot, because this is the thing, like searching for it. This is it. This is the solution. I need to serve. I need a job that is beyond what I can produce. I need a job that's in alignment to who I am at the core, my essence. I have to be responsible. I have never pursued a career based on who I am at the core. I have pursued my career based on my production and what I can produce. And then we get a problem. Then it becomes a problem in who I am at the core. And up until this last journey, we're going to challenge that. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to be better. I'm going to grow. No, no, no. Responsible self-acceptance. That's the learning curve. Not responsible self-acceptance. I got that. Uh, without without the Enneagram. Because the Myers-Briggs isn't getting me in trouble with the, the Myers-Briggs that can get things done. The effectiveness. That's not getting in my way. That part of my personality is awesome. <laughs> it's the type 8. It's the, ty- it's the part of me that will not be dominated. I don't have to. See, this is the part of why I don't look like a typical type 8. Because type 8s are dominant people. I don't need to dominate you. I don't need to dominate a person. But I'm not going to let a person dominate me. But what I do need to do is I'm going to dominate a structure. I'm going to dominate and produce results. And that's the conflict with the leadership part of me. Like as long as I'm on a lower, I don't know. It's just like you don't understand the connection between the production and the structure. And I'm going to own that structure. And when I can't own it, then I'm going to maneuver through it. So like the most of the school year, I have not been in control of any structures. Okay. Because I've been building, I was building some. I was negotiating structures. But I, so I don't even, I don't even want to say that I have to own the structure. But if there's a, here it is. If I'm, this is it. If I'm responsible for a structure, I'm going to own it then. I'm going to own it. So it's the dominant side of me. It's the dominant side of me that's a problem for people. And I think how this connects to the dating that I'm learning, and I still need some more time with this. I have, I've, I'm, I'm calling it a soft dominance. It's, it's soft because I don't walk in the door overtly dominant. I'm not an overtly dominant person. As an intellectual, as an, I'm going to be curious first. I'm going to be curious. I'm going to think about a situation. You you, you can't do hard. You cannot dominate hard dominance and also pause to think. <laughs> You've got to be right there owning it all the time. 
And um, so anyway, so I I have a softer dominance, you know, and even when I'm even when I'm owning a structure, there's still a, 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 the strategist in me. It's always contemplative, like okay, wow, what okay, what are the different pathways to get to this end? Which pathway I'm going to choose? What are going to be the outcomes of that? Making that choice, right? I'm I'm always contemplative. That makes me softer. And I'm a woman. But, and I'm a black woman. But I mean, but we won't we won't talk about that. But I'm sure that that adds flavor to it. So anyway. Anyway, you guys, I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna end it here because that's the breakthrough, that's the opportunity. It's the essence of me. This is the first time I get to stand firm and say and celebrate it. This is the essence of who I am. Let's use that essence. Put me in a position where you want that essence. Don't put me in a position where you want the results. I used, that's the old me. Or maybe I need to quantify that essence a little better. Package it so I can put it out. So then people can choose it. Because like that guy, the CEO, the CEO said, Oh, what you're saying is that we can't get the results without this other stuff. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> and I need to do a I That's the lesson. Now, that is the lesson I have to learn. How to better give, how to better position my essence. But the, before I can position that essence, I have to, I had to celebrate it. And that is what I really think is the greatest takeaway. Celebrating my essence as an eight, as an INTJ eight. That's the opportunity that was presented to me this week. That's the learning curve. You guys, if this reflection has had any value for you, please give it a heart. That means like it. (laughs) I just pushed that one out. I just gave birth to something, y'all. I'm sorry. I just like really feel like, oh, I just released that. Um... If this conversation about the like understanding the essence of you, owning the essence, celebrating the essence, being more responsible with your essence, if is if you are a female leader, heck, if you are a leader, period, male or female. And your leadership style is interrupting legacies that are giving favor to one group and disadvantaging another group. And you want to interrupt that legacy? You could be male, female, black, white, or otherwise. This is, or you know someone, take this link and share it out. It's not about... I don't I don't really think it's about race or gender. I really don't. Not enough not on the surface. And you know what? This is what I think about racism in general. 
I've never processed this in terms of sexism. I would imagine that it works for sexism too. But I'm not going to say that yet because I've not processed it. But I have. I have thought about this extensively for this idea of racism. You know, people like to see racism as something that is about in, um, like a person is just inherently hates another race. And I don't see racism like that at all. I see racism as a fear of one's own humanity, of losing oneself. It's about survival. And in a world that says survival is based on limited resources, racism then says, okay, we have limited resources. We need to survive. How are we going to justify our survival? How do we justify having access to those resources and denying other people of those resources? It's about creating a system to start to determine who's going to survive or not. It just happens to be around race. But at the core of it, it's not really about hating. Well, I guess I just don't see the core of it about hating the race. I think that's a symptom, but I don't think it's the core. So anywho, I don't think the situation I'm dealing with is about contradicting myself again and I got to close and I know that it's a it sounds like a contradiction I'm, we're just going to have to end it here because if I open it up it, it's going to be a 90 minute reflection and we're um, already at 75 minutes by the time I close oh hold on I, I can make an argument that race is at the core I can't I can do that but I think what's fundamental underneath race, race is an essential part of this piece, but what's underneath that is a desire to maintain the legacy. And the legacy is about power. And that power has been experienced by a group of people. And not experienced by a different group of people. And I think that's what is at the heart of this situation I'm dealing with at the job. So anyway. So I'd say all of that to say that no matter if you are black, white, or otherwise. And you're in a leadership position. Interrupting legacies or shifting power. This is a reflection for you. Please take this and put it on repeat. And share it out to people you think would get it. And if my moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear that. Please come to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. <laughs> Let me give you your assignment. Um, okay, so we, we, this, this should be easy. You guys should have been able to see this one coming. What is the essence of you? And I'm going to challenge you to not use the Myers-Briggs. 
I'm going to challenge you to go to the Enneagram because I just think the Enneagram, Enneagram is going to give you the not so polished version. And own it. So like there is an ugly side of an eight. That's not the part of me that I'm owning. I'm owning the fact that I have done the work to be a healthy eight. And still, even though I'm now a healthy eight, I still have a relationship with power, dominance, um, boldness, protection, right? I have a positive relationship with that. And so find the healthy part of you and own it. But I hope you're really healthy. You're going to have to really, really do some work on that to make sure about in terms of the Enneagram. But anyway, own that and then say, I want to challenge you. What are two choices that you've been making that you now need to change? What are two things that you've been doing that you now need to change once you better own who you are at the core? Once you understand the essence of you, once you understand it and accept it and celebrate it, you no longer can do these two things. Like when I said, I can no longer sell myself in terms of my production from this moment out. I'm not going to sell my, my production, my, my ability to produce is going to be secondary to the essence of me moving forward. That is the lesson for me. What, that's one, that's one change I'm going to make. And I'm trying to do that in this dating space, but that's, a, to me, that's a little difficult just because I don't like people enough to have that, uh, that experience on repeat enough to really have it perfected, but that's okay. We're going to work on it. We're going to work on it. All right, you guys. Think about the essence of you and, and, and the two things you need to do differently once you really, really embrace your essence, okay? It has been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.